The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawkbox. Here are your headlines today. The global stock rally accelerates with the Nikkei hitting a one-month high after Wall Street posts its best week of the year. The risk on sentiment is fueled by a softer than expected October jobs print, but Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin tells CNBC any prospect of rate cuts is still far off. You could imagine scenarios where um, demand comes off and you have to do uh, something. You could imagine scenarios where inflation starts to settle and you want to lower real rates. Uh, both of those imaginary uh, things still feel pretty far out in the distance to me. Berkshire Hathaway posting a 40% jump in operating earnings as Warren Buffett snaps up short-term Treasury bills, whilst the Oracle of Omaha's cash pile hits a record $157 billion. Elsewhere, Telecom Italia's board approves KKR's 19 billion euro bid for its fixed-line network, but top shareholder Vivendi are heading out at the deal, saying it will use any legal means to challenge the decision. Earnings season set to continue to dominate the conversation this week. Disney, SoftBank, Arm, UBS, as well as Adidas, all due to report. So far bit for me to return from a couple of days off and completely rip up the rundown and completely start an argument within two minutes of the show starting. But why don't we try doing all of the above? Well, it's nice to have you back on board. Lovely to see both I of wonder you, what, indeed. What argument you're going to pick? Um, your the headline. Market, the market rally. Your headline. <laughs> the one about prospects of a rate cut. Right. Market just had a rate cut last week. Big one. Yes. And therein lies the problem. When the Treasury yields go from 5% or there or thereabouts down aggressively, everybody who's pricing off those yields from the 2 to the 5 to the 10 to the 30 just got a rate cut. And therein lies the problem for the Federal Reserve. And therein lies this problem for the market's interpretation of the Federal Reserve. Because you've got this dog. And I, I did this terrible thing, as you know, a few months ago. I went on Instagram, and I now am in, on Instagram, albeit not doing much. And there, there's this thing, and I couldn't help not seeing it, the dog. And the dog's running around trying to chase its tail. And is the tail chasing the dog or the dog chasing the tail? Because the problem is when you give yourselves a pat on the back, and I won't touch on the back because HR have told me about that, but, but when you give yourself a pat on the back for actually calling the market in this Goldilocks scenario, what you do then is you buy your bond yields because you think, oh, that we, we, we're done here. We buy your bonds a big one. So your yield comes off. And so then you get your rate cut. But then the Fed's saying, hang on a second. I thought the credit markets were doing the last bit of tightening for us. The credit markets were supposed to be taking away the need for higher, for longer, for more rates as well. But then the credit markets aren't doing their job. So we go from restrictive in the credit markets to actually loose. And therein lies the problem. The market had a rate cut last week, which it gave itself well, because it was so excited with itself. The problem with your rate cut, as you call it, from last week <clears throat> is that we can't bank on it's, the fact it's unarguable. There was that, a rate it, cut. that it doesn't last for more than a week, right? Well, uh, that's a very good point. So, so we don't know the, the duration of this. And you're right, we're not 5%, close to 4.5%. That's a significant change that we've seen on funding costs. But I think there's a significant caution there in the marketplace still around this rally we had last week. Every participant that we spoke to last week was virtually saying, look, we don't 
don't trust it. We don't think it's a genuine rally at this point. And we know a lot of people have been cautious equities. They've been looking at the Tina trade. They've been thinking that perhaps it is worth looking at bonds, as you've pointed out, that rally that we've seen in the bond price uh, with has certainly been something the market has been closely looking at after the rout. So yeah. I think now, as we have this rally, do you chase it on equity markets? Or do you step back with an element of caution at this yeah, point? Yeah, I mean, the seasonals are interesting. September, October, always very difficult. November moving up to the so-called Santa rally looks very interesting as well. I'll just say one more thing about the, the numbers. I know we're going to take a massive look at the huge moves we saw on the markets last week. But one more thing about the numbers from last week. I, I did look at the jobs report and I, like everyone else, I poured into it and looked at the various parts and the, and the downward revisions from the previous months, etc., etc. Mm. We still had average hourly earnings up around about 4.1%, the latest aggregate figure as well. And we saw a lower figure at the same time when there were strikes going on as well. And I just can't help thinking that, again, one swallow didn't necessarily make a summer on this data as well. We need to see the longer term. And we still had a three-handle um, unemployment rate, which historically is stunningly low. I think you're right to pour over the detail. I mean, the, the language from the Fed last week about whether uh, wages and that the wages really hadn't been the big driver for inflation so far really just put that question mark over the markets um, that we've got the bottlenecks clearing up. But is the next challenge still going to be this wages issue? Uh, is that going to go away or is it something the Fed's going to have to tackle? But at least for the trade Friday session, it was another continuation for the trade that we had across the market week. Very similar, the strong size gains. Keep in mind, this is the best trading week we'd seen all year. Fifth positive session in a row for the Dow. The gain uh, just over six tenths of a percent. Goldman Sachs, a big driver there. I keep talking about this as a market leader to the upside. We had a back in fashion during that again last week and then session Friday. Over the course of the trading week, though, was uh, the Nasdaq with that pop of 1.4% Friday session, which translated to gains across the trading week of 6.6%, certainly the market leader. And you can see it buried in some of the big areas of technology. Fang stocks up 6.7% for the trading week. The uh, semiconductors gained more than 8%. And the ARK Innovation Fund, that was on an absolute tear, gaining uh, 18.5% over the trading week. So you could certainly position around some of these key tech trades over last week as investors saw momentum unleashed across the board in that sector. I want to take you to what we saw in Treasuries then as a result, because this was one of the catalysts. He was talking about it as a rate cut for markets last week. And you'll notice we've drifted so far off that 5% handle that the market was looking at to 4.58%. So it was a reversal. We had the refunding process from Treasury last week and the change of issuance around the long-term bond market, long-term issuance. That was the alteration enough to provide some cover. But the market also leaning into the language from the central bank. And the assumption is, look, they're now done when it comes to the rate hikes. 90% chance now the market that there's no more hikes from the central bank. And when it comes to what could happen in terms of easing, 86% chance that the first rate cut would come as soon as June. So the market already positioning around when it could see a flip on central bank policy and 4.86 as a result on the two years. So you've seen that move away from the 5% handle as well. Let me take you to the dollar. We saw a reversal across the board for the dollar. And you'll notice key trades that have now changed on levels. The standing out to me was euro dollar. Friday session, we got back to the 107 mark or 107.30 plus this morning. So that is a much more elevated rate. We're still 123.80 on the sterling dollar. 
when it comes to dollar yen, uh, we had uh, moved past that 150 handle in recent trading sessions. Now back below that 149 and a half. So even with a still fairly dovish central bank out of Japan, we are seeing some gains here. And the Bank of Japan is talking about that uh, they are closer to achieving their inflation targets, but still not enough to move away from ultra easy policy action. But that's the latest line, dollar yuan rates that we are seeing just drifting south as well. Let me get to what we've got on commodities. Another big moving part of the market in that session Friday and across, across the course of the trade, it was the appetite the markets were looking at on commodities. Gold, it is worth noting, isn't it, that we've still got some appetite out there for trades like uh, equities. There's still risk on there last week, but gold was safe haven cover. And uh, what you did see on the other side of the commodities equation was around the oil trades, where effectively we saw a fairly large dip. We were down about 5.8% on WTI for the week, more than 6% on Brent. So real reversal there. But morning session, you are seeing some caution here as Saudi Arabia and Russia confirm they will continue those voluntary output cuts. So the market just regrouping and driving these trades higher. But let's get more on the Asian market, how we're kicking off the trading week so far with Sherry, who joins us now from Hong Kong. Sherry. Uh, thank you very much, Karen. Good morning. And uh, this unusual uh, market action in South Korea, let's kick off right there as the authorities in the country actually reintroduce this COVID-era practice, a short-selling ban across the board. And we've got a major short-squeeze rally happening in South Korean stock markets today. And foreign investors are selling or buying, I should say, or having to uh, buy in this uh, stock market because they are being squeezed here. We've got the Cosby sitting higher by four and a half percent and volatility really picked up uh, we did see the korea exchange having to uh, trigger a trading curb earlier this morning as well uh, it was brought on because of some ivs misbehaving in recent months and retail investors getting burned especially in the battery and battery material spaces and we do see some of these battery heavyweights surging we're talking 20 25 percent kind of upside for these names as you can see lg energy solution for one popping by 21 percent at the moment and of course the question is does this jeopardize south korea's recent efforts to uh, win a developed market status we'll see how it goes and of course the overall sentiment is very supportive of this kind of uh, rally here the thinking is the fed may be done with rate hikes on that note let's take a look at the dollar yen because of course uh, the the japanese yen surged big time on Friday, just like many other Asian currencies. Uh, but of course, we do see some stabilization coming through. 149.48 is what we are seeing. And we also heard from the BOJ governor earlier this morning. He said a lot of things, nothing too new here, but he did say that they are seeing more positive signs uh, than before in terms of corporate rage, as well as a price setting behavior. And just flip out the board and take a look at the 10-year JGB yield, of course. Uh, we do see some tracking U.S. peers kind of behavior and yields are coming down a little bit. We did see October services activity uh, data out of uh, Japan this morning expanding at the slowest pace 
this year. The 10-year at was 0.872% as we speak. And just to push the agenda forward and checking in on the China and Hong Kong markets today, we do have big data points coming through. Trade data tomorrow, CPI, as well as a bank lending. That's really the key in here, isn't it? That's crossing on Thursday. And we've got green across the board. Shanghai Composite higher by 0.75% at the moment. Guys, it's back to you. Jerry, thank you very much indeed. And look, we're going to carry on the market conversation the rest of the show, the rest of the week and thereafter. But specifically talking about the U.S. jobs data, half past the hour, Matthew Ryan, who is the head of market strategy at Ebury, will join us. And for a full breakdown of Friday's jobs report, you can check out CNBC.com. Um, a lot of flashes hitting the wires from Ryanair as well. Um, there's a lot that's catching my eye, not least the fact that there's going to be a, a regular divvy from now on as well. Um, let me just go through a few of the, 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 the factors here before we get to our guests. We currently expect third quarter average fares to be ahead of the prior year um, third quarter by mid-teens percentage as well. So pricing power pretty strong. The point I was making on the divvy as well, there's a maiden ordinary dividend of 400 million euros. That's approximately 35 cents per share. Half payable in February, next half next September after the AGM. And But from 25 onwards full year on uh, plans to return uh, approximately 25% of prior year uh, adjusted PAT, PAT by way of ordinary uh, dividend to our shareholders. Let's get to Neil Sorohan, who's uh, Group Chief Financial Officer at Ryanair. Uh, look, um, there's a lot in the numbers as well. Nice to see nice you. To and I know why, you. It's almost that first question. Whatever I ask you, you're going to answer what, the, what you and your team decide to answer on the first one. But I'm going to go for it as well. <laughs> um, so, so, so Michael needs to pay himself a little bit more money. Is that why you guys have decided to uh, up the divvy then? No, I think it's a, it's a strong vote of confidence in the business, Steve. The balance sheet is in great shape. The profitability is very strong in the first half of the year. And I think at a stage of maturity now where we can actually sustain a 300 aircraft order over the next 10 years, but also have the confidence uh, to, to return an ordinary dividend uh, to mm. our shareholders. Like in the past, we returned nearly 7 billion, but it was between ad hoc dividends and buybacks. Yeah. Uh, it was chunky. Um, whereas now we can say, look, you can put it into your models, you can plan on it, 35 cent coming uh, in, in calendar 24, as you said, 200 million in February, 200 million yeah. uh, in, in, in the, uh, after the AGM in September, 35 cent a share. So no, I think, I think it's, a, it's a sign of the maturity of, of Ryanair yeah. and the strength the balance sheet just just look um you've had a strong balance sheet for a while or covid exception you, you're, you're quite a mature company anyway and I, and I hear what you're saying about the aircraft orders but why now what are the shareholders saying to you about the need for regular divvy because it's a big financial commitment going forward one you haven't constrained yourselves with previously well we've been very clear on our capital allocation you know we have a number of priorities the first priority coming out of covid was to make sure that we restored uh, pay for our people and to put multi-year uh, pay agreements in place that's done uh, we then wanted to pay down debt. We've paid down half our debt in, in the last uh, two years and we'll be debt free by 2026. Uh, we're investing heavily out of our own cash in aircraft capex. We have 26 additional aircraft in the first half of this year um, and we have a 300 aircraft order, but we're comfortable that we can fund all that out of our own resources. So. Assure, in, ensuring that we keep a strong triple B uh, plus rated balance sheet. Uh, after that, we want to look at the shareholders and we're at a stage now where we're happy that we can return uh, uh, funds to our shareholders on, a, on an ongoing basis. Back in May, you had a big win from hedges, uh, well-placed hedges around fuel policy. Looking out to 2024, 85% you're hedged at $89 per barrel. Unless there's a rally in the oil price, you're sort of out of the money on the hedges, right? Uh, when you say there, that's out to the end of our financial year, out to the end of March uh, 2024, where we're hedged at $89 a barrel. 
Then when we go into our next financial year uh, from the 1st of April, uh, we're over 50% hedge to $79 a barrel. So we're actually locking in 300 million of savings into our next financial year, which I think insulates us uh, significantly against any short-term spikes in fuel. And indeed, we're in a unique position uh, compared to our competitors in the market. Again, thanks to the strength of the balance sheet. But if you look at the price of oil just even lately, you're well off that eighty that eighty nine dollar per barrel level. If you look at jet, which is what we hedge, uh, jet fuel is trading somewhere between nine hundred and a thousand a metric ton. Um, so effectively, we're at seven hundred and ninety a metric ton. So we're well in the money uh, on the hedges that we have, and we're locking in year on year savings. Can, can I just ask you too about one of the other big announcements, and that's around the delays with the, the Boeing aircraft. I know that you want to get to 57 aircraft by summer 2024. Yeah. You've mentioned today that there are more delays. Just uh, tell us about the holdup and how that impacts your ability to service what could still be decent summer demand next year. Yeah, I mean, as things stand, we, we think we'll be somewhere between growing by 47 aircraft and 57 aircraft into next year. Strong growth, no matter what way you look at it. Um, you know, we've set a target of 205 million passengers for the next financial year. We'll be somewhere between two million, uh, 200 million and 205 million uh, on, a, on a full year basis. We're having weekly calls with Boeing uh, to try and ensure that the, the issues that they're, they're dealing with get sorted out. They're improving a little bit, but there's more to go. They haven't got the visibility that they need yet to give us the confidence uh, that we'll hit the 57 aircraft. So we would have some concerns that we'll be a little bit short. But if we're short, that just means that you know, there'll be less capacity in the market. And it is a constrained market at the moment. Uh, you know, we've got competitors with significant numbers of aircraft on the ground due to the Pratt & Whitney engine issue. That's going to continue over the, the next number of months and into next summer. Uh, we've got the backlog on the order books with, with but. Uh, with both Boeing and Airbus, we've got the consolidation play continuing in Europe. So I think capacity will remain constrained into the second half of this year, but also into next year. So we'll be growing strongly regardless, either 47 or 57 or somewhere in between into next summer, which means we'll be able to grow uh, strongly into next summer. But we, you know, we're, we're encouraging Boeing very strongly uh, to sort this issue out and get us as many aircraft as possible into the summer. How does Europe feel at the moment in terms of flying over Europe, flying um, to various jurisdictions? It just seems to me a hodgepodge of, uh, of problems at the moment, whether it be the air traffic control disaster that's been affecting everyone in France for a long, long time now, whether it's the um, caps on pricing in Italy or the minimum prices in France as well. It just seems to me just like they just can't get their act together as a, as a continent as well. How much is that affecting Ryanair? Look, we're continuing to fly. Uh, we had 105 million passengers in the first half of this year. We were carrying 600,000 people a day during peak summer. Um, but there has been over 60 days of ATC strikes. Uh, France alone has had a 60 days of ATC strikes this year where they haven't protected overflights. So people not even going anywhere near France have been cancelled uh, if they were going to Germany or they were going to Spain or going to elsewhere. So we're starting to see a pushback. We've already got uh, almost 2 million of our passengers have signed a petition uh, in, in relation to that to try and protect overflights. But we invested very heavily in resilience this summer. Uh, we had our highest ever crewing ratios. Um, so we were able to, uh, we, we took on delays, but we were able to get people where they needed to get to uh, uh, all, all throughout the summer. We would like to see things a bit smoother. We would like to see more investment in, in ATC and you know, get, get, get the training issues sorted out, protect the overflights which would also take a lot of needless flying out of the system and be good for the environment as well as everything and, and else. And in terms of those other issues uh, as well, is, 
I've never really felt that the commission was Ryanair's friend particularly. I mean, I'm pretty sure Michael's fired off um, kind of brickbats about them at various times as well. But is the commission now going to be your, your saving grace against some of these potential caps and uh, minimum flights and what have you, you know, just to kind of defend Ryanair and the free market? Well, in fairness, uh, you know, EU legislation is quite clear in relation to, to pricing. Um, you know, airlines are free to set their own pricing uh, in Europe. Caps don't work, whether it's a, a cap or a floor uh, in, in relation to pricing. I mean, Ryanair's got the lowest fares of anyone in Europe, 58 euro in, in, in the half year. And that's thanks to the low cost base that we have. So we'll continue to be load active, yield passive. Uh, we'll continue to carry people all across Europe at the lowest fares uh, of, of any airline mm. out there. Uh, and ultimately, you know, Europe needs Ryanair because we're, we're, we're the largest carrier uh, connecting uh, all of the regions across Europe. Can we talk about consumer demand a bit more then? Because I can see this line that you expect Q3 average prices to be ahead of the prior year by a mid-teen percentage. So right. we're talking about fairly elevated prices relative to 12 months ago. What does the demand story look like? I mean, we were musing with Trivago last week that, look, we've got higher credit costs now for a lot of consumers, subtle changes in some consumer behaviour. What are you seeing in terms of how the spending has been reshaped and just whether there's any price sensitivity on the horizon? Well, travel continues to be very high on people's lists of things that they want to do. Uh, the midterm breaks last week. Uh, we, we had a very busy uh, week uh, ferrying people across Europe uh, at Christmas uh, booking very strongly at this point in time. So there continues to be a, a big demand. We've got 90% of the summer already loaded for next really year. Mirror, isn't it? These, these people that are booked in front and they've booked months out in advance. Now as we talk about the future with yeah, those high but, credit but, costs. But we, we, we've 90% of our summer already on sale for next year. While it's a bit out there and visibility isn't great, uh, we're very pleased with how, with how uh, the early trends are developing. Um, so we would expect to, that we'll continue to grow uh, into a market that's constrained uh, next summer. Um, so you know, I, I think people will continue to, to travel in numbers. Uh, if, you, if you think about Europe at the, at the moment, employment is high, um, wages are, are relatively high, people can work from home and many have the ability as part of that work from home uh, to be able to work from elsewhere and they're using that and that's opened up a new form of travel as well for the industry. Um, so um, I think we'll continue to see strong demand for travel. What's the competitive environment like? I mean, I, I keep referring to Michael, but I mean, it's something that he said to me and Karen, well, actually, no, you weren't here because it was about 15 years ago. But something he said about 15 years ago, every time the pricing gets good, you get every, everyone seems to kind of get on board, you get more capacity, they lease more planes, you see loads more short-term carrier or low-cost carriers coming on board. Mm. This time around feels a little bit different. Are the barriers to entry changing somewhat or is it the same old cycle? No, I mean, it's, it's extremely difficult to get your hand on an aircraft, Steve. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you look at the leasing companies, they lost 500 aircraft into Russia due to, to sanctions. Yeah. They're out of the system. 2,000 aircraft that were meant to be manufactured during COVID weren't. Um, so the, the market's already short that. A lot of airlines got very uh, difficult uh, and, and, and tricky balance sheets. So again, they'd be very careful about where they put their marginal capacity. Uh, and then we have the issue with, with uh, Pratt & Whitney where a lot of the A320 operators are going to see uh, engines in the shop for up to 300 yeah. days at a time. So, so that, that that's for really the next sweet, couple of years. Isn't it? I mean, in terms so, of a sweet spot that, that isn't going to be eroded by because of all well, this Well, capacity is going to be constrained. We're running at about 94% of pre-COVID capacity yeah. at the moment, according to Euro control we're unlikely to get anywhere close to 100% by next summer or even beyond um, so I think capacity is going to be constrained and it makes it difficult for anybody who wants to come in to get their hands on aircraft I mean if, if you wanted to put an order in with Boeing or Airbus you'd be looking at at least 2030 before they'd be able to give you a delivery slot
might be in a slightly different cycle by then. Neil, lovely to see you. Thanks for your time. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, Neil Sorahan, who is a uh, Group Chief Financial Officer over at Ryanair. Uh, let's get to Arabilo. Tell us what's coming up on the show. Well, guys, coming up on the show, Berkshire Hathaway posts a 40% surge in third quarter earnings while Warren Buffett's empire sits on a record amount of cash. We'll break down what it means after the break. Also, ahead on the show, Telecom Italia greenlights a 19 billion euro sale of its fixed line network to KKR in a blow to key shareholder Vivendi. More from our team in Milan coming up. Plus, We'll also hear then from the CEO of Thomas Cook as the travel industry gears up for the festive season. Tune in to that interview at 8.30 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway posted $10.76 billion in operating earnings for the third quarter, up 40% on the year. The company also took advantage of high rates as its cash holdings swelled to an all-time high. Arabile joins us with more to discuss. Arabile, it did seem as though there was an element of caution from Warren Buffett and co. Indeed, Karen. So he's trying to keep the powder dry, as it were, right? Not getting into a fear of missing out. No FOMO, it seems, at this point in time. No major acquisitions is what the uh, Berkshire Hathaway company is perhaps alluding to right now. Operating profit hitting a record high indeed then uh, at Berkshire Hathaway this quarter. That's partly driven by insurer Geico, of course. The crown jewel pretty much in that insurance portfolio did swing to an over $1 billion pre-tax profit. That is from a, a loss of $759 million then as fewer drivers submitted claims. However, the company's net loss more than quadrupled, 300%, as it posted a $24 billion investment loss for the quarter. That was primarily driven by a decline in its near 6% stake of Apple as of the last filing. That's worth $177.5 billion. Cash holdings, well, that rose to a record high of $157 billion then, and that was primarily parked in short-term treasury bonds, yielding around 5%. But let's make note here that in May, Warren Buffett did say that cash is not trash. So clearly saying that he's going to hold on until he finds a way to find a, a lucrative investment opportunity. Now, 78% or so of Berkshire Hathaway's equity exposure is based on five stocks. I like to call them the Berkshire Hathaway ABCs. Why? Well, Apple, $156.8 billion is currently the stake, uh, pretty much, uh, in its holding. Another A, American Express, $22.6 billion. In the Bs, we have Bank of America, $28.3 billion. 
in your C's, then you have Coca-Cola and Chevron. So those were the ones that really occupied a large part uh, of uh, the stock exposure then for Berkshire Hathaway. And a lot of these may have fallen off, particularly Apple, which was the big one to have fallen off uh, in this quarter. Let's take a look at the top three holders' performances then uh, when it comes to the last quarter in particular, but of course even this year as well. And when one takes a look at Apple, you can kind of see almost a little bit of a, of a dip off there slightly. Yes, a lot of the market did, of course, also trade potentially sideways. But having seen Apple run hard for a large part of the year, this fall-off is really what hampered Berkshire Hathaway, uh, particularly in this quarter then. What does it look like when it takes a look at the S&P 500? Well, they've pretty much traded similar, right? You have seen that spike, which did happen at a slightly later time span of the year, similar to that Apple rise then as well. So Berkshire Hathaway enjoying the uptick in Apple, but again, falling off similarly to a similar mark. So around 14% still when it comes to the gains uh, for this year then for Berkshire Hathaway and the S&P 500. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.